It's the Wingy F1 podcast, and I'm one with... Oh, I've messed that up straight away. <laughs> Hello, it's the Wingy F1 podcast with myself and Nigel Chu, and with Freddie Coates. Well, <laughs> 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 it's the Wingy F1 podcast, and this is the third take at me doing an intro, because I've messed up so many times, but I'm with Freddie Coates and Adam Dickinson, as usual, and that's all that matters. How are you guys doing this week? Yeah, I'm getting through all of these introductions. It's as if I, I don't know how I am now, but I think I'm all right. You all right, Adam? Yeah, I'm dead. I've not been run out of town like Freddie has, so I'm still at my university accommodation. And yeah, just kind of enjoying the F1 free weekend so I can get some work done, really. How are you, Nigel? Uh, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have asked that. <laughs> Did one okay. one answer? <laughs> Uh, moving swiftly on it's, yeah. been, it's been difficult I'll say that it's yeah, a very awkward on. time for everyone and yeah just so everyone knows every audience member knows everyone's going to be there for you and all of that so stay strong everyone difficult time with the lockdown but you'll be fine let's talk about some news then we saw after the Emilia Ra- I can't remember the name of the Grand Prix the Emilia Grand Prix Emilia Romagna yeah, like that. yeah. Uh, there was an incident with Lance Stroll who nearly ran over a marshal at turn eight or nine down the hill. Can't quite remember which corner. And yeah, it could have been pretty serious. It was happening during the safety car when the lapped cars were unlapping themselves. And it's not the first time we've seen this kind of incident. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on the incident and what should have happened and what can be done in the future? Ready? Yeah, so just to explain the incident a bit more, there was um, when lap cars were allowed to unlap themselves to rejoin the back of the safety car queue, there were still marshals on track clearing up debris from George Russell's uh, shunt at going into Aquaminerale around the back of the track at Imola. And a few cars, there's a few, a few clips were seen because of F1 TV having full onboard on these cars. A few clips did the rounds on social media. And you have... Um, a few drivers, Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel, going through and then seeing the marshals were there. They hadn't been told that the marshal that there were double waved yellows still at that part of the track because the teams had just been told that lap cars could um, get back to the pack, basically. And these cars came and they had to really slow down. They, and Vettel said on the radio how dangerous it was. Stroll came round and didn't slow down as much as everyone. So Stroll's been the the one who's been the main fear of this but yeah his 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 sector two time on that lap was only a second and a half slower than his fastest sector two time i think so he was flooring it round basically where people were on track and the fact that marshals were still working on track while we were on a lap before the race was due to get get going again is quite i'm not i'm not very comfortable with that we've had lots of incidents of marshals only 10 years ago to was a marshal killed from debris at the Canadian Grand Prix in 2010, I think. And it's not, it's not something that looked very comfortable. I've seen the footage. I saw it um, on Sunday, Monday, around then, after the race. And it was, it's, it's unsafe for these people to be put in those positions. I know they're motorsport marshals, but I think, yeah, we've, I don't know if the, there's, people seem to think there's been a few issues with Michael Mazzi. I think he's a very good race director and, but and he's he's got a tough job to follow, obviously Charlie Whiting. But there's been a few things where it's been a little bit 
let's get the race going rather than let's double check this and get the race going. The lights mm. and Magello on the safety car spring to mind. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, they're, they're Marshall, but they're not Matadors. Um, it's, you know, it's scary viewing to, you know, and I imagine for the Marshall, it kind of will have been over before he'll have even, you know, kind of realised it because they're travelling so fast. You know, there's no time to jump out of the way, the speed yeah. that Stroll was going and that these cars go. Yeah, I agree. You know, even even if, you know, they feel that the the ultimate priority is safety, it still matters whether we as fans and viewers get that feeling coming across on the TV as well. And as you said, there's been a few incidents where maybe that hasn't that hasn't been coming across as, you know, it's been more, let's get the race back on. I think it's just an absolute disgrace to have this kind of incident. I mean, imagine if the worst had happened. It, it, yeah. try, imagine trying to explain that at court. How, how what can you say that well, the yeah, FIA would say we have double waved yellows from the exit of Piratella, and they'd say well, the drivers should have seen the double waved yellows. But then the drivers and teams would say there shouldn't this shouldn't have been the case for this part of the track. And I think there needs to be a strict. I don't I haven't read regulations about how a car can unlap itself, and I don't think it's a a part of the regulations that will be that embellished. I don't think it would have much information about when you can release the cars. And I reckon there probably just needs to be a footnote put in there saying, as soon as the track is at green conditions, then cars can unlap themselves. Yeah. Um, and then you have another lap as yellow if you want to do that. But where cars are lapped, I mean, at the end of the day, that only really is there as a co cosmetic racing um, response. That's not a safety issue. So that should not be used at all when safety is of paramount concern. It's a safety car. It's a period where the track is unsafe. So the cars shouldn't be able to go around because the track is unsafe for everyone, not just for the cars. And that seems to need that. I think that needs to be reinforced. It's a safety car is there to keep marshals safe as well as keep drivers safe. So I think we need to focus on that more. I think maybe have a delta of, you know, kind of 25% or a VSD delta say for unlapped cars. So they go yeah. around their own to get some advantage because it's also about them not getting mixed up with the with kind of the the pack on the lead lap when the lights go green, which could you know be another safety issue. Mm. So you know they're able to get out of the way, and then as you said, maybe once the track's green, have you know another lap of of safety mm. car, which gives them more time to come around to the back, um, and then go. I mean, it's another. It's kind of a wider issue as well. You know, earlier this year, there was George Russell Magello kind of got swamped at the start after, was it Giovinazzi and Vettel? Had, I think that was in the red flag, but where they'd been able to oh, go around. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was because when they unlapped themselves, they went to the, they, everyone else was sat in the pit lane. So mm. their tyres, they only had, they had basically two formation laps. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's yeah, that's a bit different when it comes to a safety car restart. Oh, yeah, but, but it's it, you know just kind of in general, there yeah. seems to be more, more debate than I can remember about the kind of whole way it's structured. 
So you think the unlap rule at the moment is okay, Adam? Would you say yes? They can change the speed. What cars unlapping themselves is 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 a good thing. Yeah, because if if they don't, then it will just be a mess. Because mm. as soon as the lights go green, then they'll just have to pull off to the side. Yeah, let everyone yeah. else come through. So you know, I don't, it, having them in the pack isn't an answer. But you know, I just think yeah. things to change the way they manage that. Well, yeah, they managed to point. do it in other series, though. Won't they? Well, I th- well, I kind of think to Le Mans with this and and WEC, and when they have a safety car out for that for those series, they just line up, and you've got say, a, if a GT car is the first car to be picked up by a yeah. safety car, it will be a GT car at the front. Then it will be an LMP one. Then it will be an LMP two. Then it will be a GTM, GT Pro, and so on. And they have. They just have it where wherever the safety car is, and Le Mans they have three safety cars because the track's so big. But for say it's a Silverstone or something, wherever the safety car is, that will be the queue. Um, and but I think in F1 there's fewer cars on the track, and they're all similar speeds. So arguably you could then say it'd be fine to have them in the pack. But what Adam says, yeah, you would then have a really weird situation where cars are just tripping over themselves, and they're not at the right speed. I don't really know. Now I've sort of what spoken myself into a corner with this, and I think it's very obvious to see because some other series are fine. They just have a safety car, and then they don't have a safety car. Um, but obviously, Formula One is at the height of the scrutiny on this, and they need to do everything to a to the nth degree with the entertainment as well as with the um, safety. And I think. Yeah, entertainment is fine. Prioritise entertainment with unlapping the cars and make sure it's safe to get that entertainment first. Well, yeah. It's also, you know, how much how much entertainment do people get from watching, you know, drivers scrapping for like 13th place after they've been lapped? I don't think it's kind of a massive... I think you get more entertainment from, say, the scrap between second and third not being interfered by the car in 12th. Yeah, okay. Um, mm. and I think, yeah, but it is like you say, blue flags, um, being straight out on lap two after a safety car, rest- after a safety car restart for, um, not just for one car, it would be for four or five cars. Yeah. You have mm. lap cars when the, in, in gaggles sometimes, but usually it's spaced out enough. But if you've got say 13, 14 cars trying to get through five cars at once, with cars going going slowly, other cars going at full racing speed is yeah, like you say, that's not, that shouldn't be on as well. So, and also you know, say you've got one racing point on the lead lap, one not. There's going to be confusion there. You know, if you're another driver coming through, you might not know which one you're able to pass. Or out of the lap cars, the person in twentieth could gain, you know, seven places if they can get through, and everyone else thinks, oh no, it's another another car that we need to let through. So to be fair, be... with with that, that's a bit more um, just a general thing. Like if, there, mm. if there's if there's cars being lapped and then someone who's one of the lap cars uses it to attack to an advantage, fair, mm. fair enough. They're they're doing that. This reminds me of Verstappen in Monaco in 2015. He was being lapped and he was um, the car ahead of him was being lapped. So the car had pulled over. So when he when he was lapped, Verstappen, he then just tucked up behind, I think it was Vettel, just drove straight past the car he was trying to get past. And it was brilliant. He did like three or four moves like that. And he got into the points before he crashed, obviously. But um, it, that's, that's racing for that part of it. That's using 
the strategy of the blue flag. Um, and obviously cars block each other every now and again, but that's a bit like 1997, Jerez. Um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was, I want to say Fontana in the Sauber, who um, was told you won't have an F1 seat unless you block Villeneuve and let Schumacher lead and that kind of thing. So he did just block Villeneuve and then was sacked anyway. But it's, that's a quite a fancy story. But I think lapping cars happens. And unless every car drove at the exact same pace, cars are going to be lapped. If a car, even if they are really close to each other, cars are going to have to get damaged and go to the pits and need to be lapped. Um, just when they're unlapping themselves after the safety car, it's a good fun thing. It gives a bit more to the race. It means all the cars are on the lead lap and means there's a lot more possibility. And that's cool. But make it safe to do so. Please don't put volunteer marshals at risk. And I think that's, right? just, that's just the basis of the point. Don't yeah. put lives at risk. Is, is there, so last point on this, is there a case that Stroll drove too fast? Because I think Vettel and Raikkonen did slow down quite a bit. Yeah, I, I'd say there definitely is. Mm. I think um, there was definitely nothing on the, from, on the team radio from Racing Point to Stroll. There was um, double wave yellows notifications. I think, I think I'll need to double check on this. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But in, I think there was a double wave yellow notification for Vettel and Raikkonen. Um, and a few others, but that there wasn't to stroll. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> uh, do a big news from this week. Big, big news was about the Saudi Arabian street circuit, mm-hmm. which we have discussed already in the past with the Saudi Arabia getting a Grand Prix. It's going to be in Jeddah towards the end of next year. Uh, I don't even what I'm trying to think of what my question hmm. should be. I mean, the obvious question is: Should F1 race in Saudi Arabia? But uh, I don't. Is F1 doing the right thing? It depends also? how much Saudi Arabia is going to advance itself as a country. And I think the issue a lot of people have with Saudi. I mean, the majority of the population in Saudi Arabia is below thirty, and the major and the majority of the rulings in Saudi Arabia in recent years have been comparatively to obviously the history there are getting more and more progressive, but on a, on a global scale, they are and on a Western global scale, they are a very backward country and whether Saudi is going to progress as it in some ways has been a bit more forward thinking and a bit more, um, a bit more as it should be with its civil liberties, um, then it's less of, a, less of an issue. But obviously that's not the case currently. And when you have a whole, a whole year with end racism placards across Formula One, the We Racers One slogan being championed on every logo that Formula One has. And time put aside at the beginning of every Grand Prix for an end racism message and for the drivers and teams to show their support for anti-racism. This is just, it comes across as a bit of a farce when you put it like that. And I think Saudi Arabia, it's got money and that's it. Dog. Dog. My dog is very angry about Saudi Arabia. Yeah, he clearly agrees with us that 
one of the worst, one of the countries with the worst human rights should not be hosting sports events. Yeah, Adam, what are your thoughts on this? Obviously, we've had uh, other major sports. Oh, look in, at that. <laughs> in the Middle East as well. Yeah, what are your thoughts on F1 having a night race in Saudi Arabia? Um, I think generally the, you know, F1 said, you know, we're going to try and use it as a positive influence, but, you know, how many countries has F1 been to with dodgy human rights records yeah. and clean their act? And it's not changed anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, Ch yeah, China, anyway. China, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Russia. Bahrain. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bahrain had a race cancelled in 2011. F1 went back in 2012. Yeah. So I, I don't really buy that. Um, I think Amnesty International gave a statement last week when it was being mooted saying the drivers should be speaking out about um about these issues obviously for the press covering the event there was the murder of jamal kasoji which was very heavily allegedly perpetrated by the saudi government um in turkey so it will be interesting to see whether any mention of that is made i probably doubt it but you know that'll be something to keep an eye on um nothing will be said on the ground i don't think the teams said, I think in August when there was um, kind of when the rumours were first starting to begin, the teams all said that they would ensure that their female staff get the same rights as male staff within the country. Um, so there's kind of all that happening within F1, but then outside of it, I don't know. I don't know. They're not going there to try and change the human rights record. They're going there to get a crash cash grab yeah so, formula one it's a cash grab for saudi arabia it's a look at us we're we're a cool country now mm. and it is it's it's trying to uh advertise saudi arabia and the only way they can sort of if the only all i can think of a positive for formula one going there is that it does bring the 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 tourist board of saudi arabia on the side of well actually maybe we do need to shake it up because look at all of this. It's not working. We pay for all of these sports events. We pay for Joshua Ruiz. We pay for um, Formula E. We pay for one of the big football finals. Was it you? I don't know which one it was. Um, but we pay for all of these and we aren't getting tourists. Maybe we're not getting tourists because we're really quite far right. Oh, hmm. Let's look at it like that. And maybe that will help. But it's it's uh, it, that's that's clutching at straws of hope. Mm. Interesting. A uh, ESPN journalist asked the Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull drivers, as well as the team principals, so Matteo Bedotto, uh, and then he said Christian Wolf, Toto Wolf, what his name is actually Christian, Christian Horner, uh, about their thoughts on the Saudi Arabian race, and they were all it was all pretty predictable. Red Bull essentially said that. They just put the responsibility towards Liberty and Ferrari and Mercedes essentially said it might bring change and it might be a positive impact. Should there be, should the teams and drivers be more, uh, what's the word, should they have a bigger say or should they say something if, about, about this essentially? They're not going to get paid if they do. Hmm. Ferrari and Mercedes, they're going to sell things, sell 
particularly Ferrari, they're going to sell a lot to Saudi Arabia. Um, Red Bull presumably sells Saudi Arabia. Uh, sponsors of every team. Yeah, you can say, oh, Williams, they're not, um, not a manufacturer, say. They can speak out. But Williams probably... Williams is, was their first championship winning car was sponsored by a company called Saudia. So <laughs> these, all these teams are going to have business links that are going to pr- prevent anyone from speaking. And I imagine even if they want to speak, drivers are going to be worried. But I think, I think drivers that are secure in their position, you know, if Lewis Hamilton speaks out against it, or Max Verstappen speaks out against it, Red Bull aren't going to go, right, you fight. No. Yeah, yeah I, completely. I, and, you know, we hear all this stuff from Lewis about, oh, you know, Mercedes is such a good company to work with. You know, he's clearly rightly proud of the stuff they've done on BLM. Definitely, definitely. You know, that's that's to be completely saluted. But, you know, on, on the flip side, you know, for all these teams, if they're then saying, actually, well, we're not going to speak out of this because we want more money, that's not really a great, you know, moral position to be in, I think. You know, I think they should be kind of speaking out about it and trying to make positive change there rather than just going, oh, you know, it's not for us, it's for liberty when, you know, I don't, not got too much faith in kind of liberty doing much either because the same reason that it extends to the teams, it extends to them, you know, they're not going to get paid so much or, you know, to go back to Saudi Arabia if they if they speak out about it. It'll be interesting to see if all these rainbow designs they've had this year, which have looked brilliant and have been fantastic. And you've got on the grandstand, just haven't been there, you've had a rainbow basically with the teams. You've had a rainbow on the front of McLaren's halo and so on. Be interesting to see if those sort of disappear a bit when they go to a country that doesn't recognize that trans, well, that trans people are, it's illegal to be trans. And it'll be interesting to see how all of that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've discussed it as well on previous podcasts, I think twice over the last couple of months. It's not the first time we talked about Saudi Arabia and F1. So, you know, go watch them if you want to know more about our opinions, which is a dangerous thing. A card will come up in the corner that will take you to that (laughs) video. Exactly. Thanks to editing. What do you have? Adobe Premiere Pro. Uh, I'll have to do editing now. Yes, and so watch uh, it will definitely be there. Let's have a DRS debate. McLaren's James Key said that even after the new regulations in 2022, DRS will still be needed. Uh, we've not really had a debate about DRS. Do we? Is it something we like? Is it something that F1 needs? Those are two very different questions. Um, it is definitely <laughs> something that F1 needs. Um, and I'm going to be honest, yeah, I quite like it because it, it, is, it, it works most of the time. So I think, yeah, it does, it does um, help soften the problems that Formula One has with aerodynamics, basically. And I like the fact that it does that. So, yeah, I think I like it and I think F1 needs it. Okay. I, I agree with that and especially going going into 2021 when a lot of things will be untested until we you know touch down in Melbourne hopefully um I don't think getting rid of it you know if we get rid of it and then two races in there's been three overtakes because the rules haven't worked as intended 
going to be very bad luck. So I think, you know, especially for 2021, keep it in, see how the rules kind of go and how teams interpret them and how things develop. And then, you know, kind of look at whether it's still needed after that. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I've not got too much against it, especially at the moment. It's quite a satisfying little thing to see as well. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because Ross Braun and the Liberty Media, when they came, first came into the sport, I think they said they wanted to get rid of DRS, but now, as time's gone on, they've, just, they've kind of gone against that, in a way, and I do think it's a shame they can't find a, a solution, or they're not backing themselves enough with the new rules, that they, that DRS won't go. Well, what's an interesting, an interesting part of that um, James Key interview that you cited there, it was, um, it was on race fans, and he said at the end of it, um, I wrote it the other day, he said, DRS there will probably still play its role in making sure you can guarantee an overtake. As it stands, its authority would be less. I tend to agree with that. So what he's saying there is DRS is going to be le- have less of an impact with these new rules, and that's based on the, the CAD models they've seen and everything and interpretations they've had. So I think it is a step in the right direction to not having DRS, and who knows, maybe, as Adam says, it would be something to not have. We, we were we were um, unwittingly treated to a non-DRS race trial at Abu Dhabi last year where DRS failed. Uh, one of the detection points failed for about 25 laps. And, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was still obviously the same issue at the front of the cars being spaced out, but the cars that were close together were still racing, to be honest. And when they were getting close to the back of each other, they were still able to fight. And the fight for the... Um, for the sixth place in the constructors with science Albert and Gasly was still going on pretty hammer and tong with that. So with even without DRS. Um, so I think it can be done without DRS and it'd be interesting to see what happens in years in the future, 23, 24, to see if there are where we say, Oh, let's do a reverse good trial. Now if we say, let's do a trial race without DRS say, mm-hmm. um, then I think there, I think we are going in the right direction. To, I think, to shake it off. I think, um, I think two things. Firstly, still track specific as to whether you need it or not, I'd say, for a large part. Um, but also, you know, so maybe that could be looked at as, you know, not having it on some tracks, keeping it off others and seeing how that impacts it. Um, but also, you know, that quote when Braun came into F1 and, you know, oh, we you know, want to get rid of it. I feel like that kind of might have been wanting to make a splash as well, you know, because they know yeah. that it's that a lot of fans love to hate. So if they come in and, oh, we're going to get rid of it, you know, kind of this utopian future. I don't know how much it will have been that and how much it will have been actually wanting or feeling like they should get rid of it. Good point, yeah. I'm, I'm, the biggest hope is that the 2022 cars do allow closer racing. Uh, which enables DRS to 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 not be a thing. That is my biggest hope. I don't think it will happen, but I can only dream of it. I guess. Uh, yeah. I said this before the podcast, um, but I'll say it again now. I think my biggest hope for the 2022 regulations is more of a parity on performance, and I think even if cars are you know having difficulty overtaking. If we have a parity on performance and have different cars getting different results all the time and 
and being able to be in a position to be close to racing and overtaking and maybe lead into a strategic battle, say, with the team involved and and basically cars that are close together. You've got more teams fighting for the win, basically. I think that would be that's more what I'm looking for from the 2022 regulations. I don't know if that's more just because I've um, sacked off the fact that overtaking won't be better because I normally, if you make any hopes about that, then you are absolutely shot in the foot. But I think I'm more looking for parity than overtaking anyway. If you get an overtake every lap, then after lap 20, you don't have any overtakes. And that's an extreme case. Um, and the cars will just drive away from each other if they can overtake, so. Well, if you get an overtake every lap, then, you know, for Monaco, you get 72 overtakes or however many laps they have. 78. um, Yeah. um, Yeah, I think one one thing that I quite like, but it it just, it leads to negative, not negative feedback loop, but it'd be exploited. It's kind of having DRS from two seconds to one second behind the car. So it kind of would allow a driver to close in, but then they still want to make it. The only problem with that, and I can see that Monty disagrees with it heavily, is that you know <laughs> you can completely exploit it and just kind of keep stuck at you know one point one seconds behind the driver in front and leave that. But yeah, um, I agree with what Freddie says. You know, having having the cars closer together will lead to better racing and better spectacles. You know, just by virtue of there being more in play. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Doing it from one to two seconds. I quite like that. I'd like to see F1 try that out, actually. It's a, good it's idea, a very interesting idea. Um, it's whether when they get within one second, they just fall back into the DRS bit, though. Yeah. You need to have cars that can overtake for that to happen. Mm. I kind of think an interesting, a, a similar to that, but maybe having it from noughts to one and a half seconds. Because you see mm. a lot of cars struggling to get to the one-second barrier, and you see it always being like a little push to get there, but they're always in the 1.5 second. But I don't know whether that would just mean that it would neuter any battles and make DRS too powerful then, because cars could then just get closer easier. And I think, mm-hmm. like you say, the the two to one second still makes the overtake a massive challenge, but it means you can get close, but then you've still got to really fight when you're in that dirty air. So it's it's it, it's a whole new fight. It's interesting. I think what what they have to do is kind of say you can have it for three laps, say, within that window. And then if you've still not closed kind of in after that, then you lose it, which would hopefully prevent a bit of exploitation. Well, that would certainly incite dive bombs. Exactly. That's what we're (laughs) here for. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, interesting debate there on the DRS. Let's... It's, it's, an, it's an interesting perspective is to throw the now or never jeopardy into like lap six or something because <laughs> if someone's going to make a you'd say oh be patient be patient don't make a move like that now but if they have to make that move then that's really quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we used the two day weekend format we also saw the two day format inadvertently at the Nürburgring as well. Is this something we're a fan of. Is it, do we want to see it more in, in, in F1 calendars, especially with more races on the schedule? I quite liked it. Did you? Yeah. I think it's... I think for the fans, that's the biggest loser from it. Um, I think that's kind of... You know, it's in, impossible to really get around 
that you know kind of cutting down a third of the chance that fans have to see F1 cars running. Um, so yeah, I think for me that is a you know that's quite a big one. But equally, you know, it did certainly made FP well what would have been FP3 certainly made the Saturday morning practice more interesting to follow. Um, whether it had an impact on the race, I'm yeah. not sure. I don't think it did when you had the Mercedes on locking out the front row and then Max Verstappen in third. I don't really think it had much um, impact on the actual race result. Um, I I did quite like it because I didn't like having to sit around for a day and wait for qualifying. Mm. And I, you can, if you've got nothing on in your life, then you get a bit. You're like, oh yeah, F1's back. Oh, it's practice. Then you've got to wait 24 hours, and then it's another practice session. And then it's qualifying, and then you've got to wait 24 hours, and then it's the race. It's like, mm. there's not as much waiting around, but I think, I don't know, that's probably me being spoiled. Yeah. I think with me and formats, as you two know, I like seeing a variety across the season. So have a two-day format, say, in Russia, because it's boring. Have it in Abu Dhabi, because it's boring. Have it in France. Because it's still boring, uh, those kind of tracks. But they have three like days Silver... in Silverstone when you have fans there, all like exactly. lining the track yeah. on Friday Silverstone... morning at six a.m. Yeah. yeah, Silverstone Spa, Japan, Australia, those types of tracks where you get fans on the Monaco. Friday. <laughs> well, not the Friday, but uh, Thursday, you get uh, fans on the Thursday. Yeah, they got no choice; they live there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> roll out of their bachelor pads at ten thirty because they've been woken up by the sound of the engines going off. <laughs> I've got to go to work in six hours, guys. Come on. Yeah, those types of tracks. I've keep the three day format. Uh, another format thing is the F2 F3 changes. So, this is quite, quite a big thing, actually. Uh, F2 and F3 will no longer race together at the same weekend, and both series will now have three races per weekend one day race uh f3 is going to have seven events so 21 races over the season formula two will have eight rounds so 24 races over the season uh, why is this happening i hear you ask well it's to decrease costs and to help yeah help the teams to help yeah to help the teams uh after the year of crisis essentially for them and to keep the series going there we are finally got the words out of my mouth uh <laughs> yeah, yeah it was just it also adds an element of formula two and in particular and formula three being very expensive series for young drivers mm. to have 16 and 17 year olds for formula three having to go out and get a million pound budget is is a tough gig because they're just going to be on the support series to formula one for a bit so now you can give Formula 3 a bigger platform by not having Formula 2 there but also you can require them to have less money anyway so yeah. it's more of a, more attractive to sponsors um, particularly for Formula 3 and they don't have to pay as much money so it, it re, for, for two championships which provide the majority of super license points which is um, fair enough because they're only really decent championships at that level these days um, because they provide the majority of the super license points, then 
it takes more of an impetus. I mean, still there's an impetus on money for these as an opportunity for the super license points, but there's a little bit less of that impetus. Mm. And do you think this is a good thing, Adam? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not still not completely wrapped my head around it, but that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah if you don't know how serious, or certainly kind of, I don't know how serious the situation is for Formula mm. Two and Formula Three, whether it's kind of a not you know last gasp but you know quite a significant thing that they need to work to you know cut costs and keep running or whether it's just kind of a preventative thing for the future um but you know if if it keeps costs down and you know still provides a good quality of opportunity for the drivers then you know that can only be a good thing the opportunity mm. for the drivers is a very interesting uh debate for formula two in particular when you have so many races this season have come down to a driver performing really well in qualifying, having to do the uh, standard strategy and losing out because someone, a tail ender crashes at the end, meaning that someone who did an alternative strategy can then do well. So it just, Nikita Mazepin. Um, And it means that some drivers are, God, the dog's being loud. Nikita fan. He is a Nikita Mazepan fan, my dog. I'm going to say this point in a second while I shut up my dog. That sounds quite sinister, actually. Right. I uh, yeah, I think Freddie was talking about the formats. So with three races, I think, so at the moment they have a uh, longer race or a pit stop and a reverse grid race. What I hope that they still have is a race that involves a pit stop. I don't really want to see three races that are like half an hour long and there's no strategy involved. Uh, yeah, it's also a chance to perhaps even get rid of the reverse grid element. Or, or I, yeah. I feel like, if anything, they'd expand it. I, you know, I don't really mm. know. But I, I think that's quite an important part of at the moment. So, you know, it's something that they kind of have coming up through, you know, all of their junior series have yeah. that element in. I don't know whether there could be something, the another more F1 specific thing, because it's so geared towards preparing drivers for F1. But I don't really know what that would be. Freddie seems to be back, and Monty's quiet. Freddie, what were you? Do you want to finish your point? So yeah, so Formula Two is a really expensive series, and drivers pay a lot of money, and then drivers do well in qualifying and do everything they need to do. And then someone else makes a mistake, a safety car comes out. The driver who does really well in qualifying then can't score points and then isn't, in, isn't getting the results they deserve. Christian Lungard deserved to win at Mugello. He dominated that weekend, um, but he was um, unable to win because of incidents that happened that were out of his control. And similar to Matsushita's win in Spain, everyone was marvelling about how he qualified 17th and still won. But that was just simply because... Um, uh, there was a late safety car and Callum Eilot, who had led the weekend and was leading the race by a solid chunk, then wasn't able to win the race where he deserved to win. So it, it raises the question of, is Formula 2 an entertainment series or is it a feeder series? If it's a feeder series, then we shouldn't really be chomping at the bit for the entertaining races because we should be here to see the drivers perform and then we should just base it all on qualifying, really. Um, and it, it raises a lot of questions about what you get from Formula 2. And if you're paying a lot of money as a driver, as a driver's sponsor, 
for that driver to then be shafted um, by something out of their control and then not end up... I mean, Callum Eilert's the main, the main, in, main interesting point with this because he's had a few uh, situations taken away from him this season based on um, complicated strategies and so on, despite him always doing the job and qualifying pretty much. And he's now not really, he's not in contention really for a Formula One seat when he arguably there, he's been one of the better, well, obviously been one of the better, I'd say one of the best Formula Two performers this year. So it, it, it raises, there's a lot of questions about Formula Two as a championship. And if this can make it easier for those to go under the radar because it's a bit cheaper, then maybe. Mm, uh, me and Adam were discussing the format uh, while he was away for, for a little bit then, what format would you like to see? Because we were discussing whether they should keep the, keep the reverse grid element or and should they have, still have the longer races with pit stops and should they, how short should the shorter races be and stuff like that? I'd imagine they'd have two feature races kind of thing. In oh, okay. sort of a BTCC kind of format, you have... Um, two sessions that you have a session decided by the grid by qualifying and then a race decided by the way the previous race finished mm-hmm. and then you have a reverse grid from i don't know whether in btcc it's from the results of the second or first race oh. or however that is and i reckon yeah something results like of the second race you draw it out from a ball from a bag <laughs> well then yeah. <laughs> um, then i reckon it would be something like that i mean if you look at mm. the gaps they've got to have races now so this Currently, with F3 and F2 at concurrent weekends, they would have um, an F3 race on Saturday morning, an F2 race in the afternoon, and an F2 and F3 race on Sunday morning. So whether they'll have a race on Friday afternoon um, for F2, say, or an F2 race in the morning, an F2 race in the afternoon on Saturday, and F3, it would take the same format, and then one race on Sunday. Whether they'll have two races on the Sunday, who knows? I'm not sure. They might be allowing a four, might be doing a similar gap and allowing there to be a, a guest slot for something like W Series to have, make do a fourth yeah. race. Obviously, W Series was supposed to support at the Mexican Grand Prix and the American Grand Prix this year. I think the American mm. Grand Prix. Um, so they might be allowing something like that to have a bit more of a say, as a bit more of a say, a bit more of a um, presence. Presence. There we are on um, the Formula One support network. Yeah. I, think, I think it is important. Because when drivers graduate from F2 to F1, most of the time they're not in the same type of position. So, you know, if you've got a title contender in F2, you know, even Charles Leclerc, he went then to the back of the grid with Sauber for a year. George Russell went to beyond the back of the grid um, (laughs) (laughs) with Williams. So, you know, I do think it's important kind of having that, having the element of, you know, racing when you are a bit further back. Obviously, it's not exactly the same. I also, just on the W Series point, I saw someone saying that the W Series should support the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which is a very good point, and I think would be very interesting, but we've already discussed that. Yeah. So, format changes galore for next year to save costs. Uh, I think that is the end of the podcast unless Freddie or Adam wants to jump in any minute now which it looks like is not going to happen so uh, find us on Twitter at Wiggin It F1 Fred, Freddie Coates at Fred Coates 1999 Adam Dickinson at Adam Dickinson 01 and me at Nigel C. Journal 
and also Acast, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. Those are the places to listen and watch this podcast. Uh, we will be back next week for a preview of the Turkish Grand Prix. Oh, they've got good human rights, haven't they? Uh, and also it's reviewing it. It's becoming a politics podcast. Woo! What do you think yeah. of Trump? Oh, let's not real there. Uh, I like him. <laughs> Which one of them would win a quiz on Istanbul Park? That's the real question. Joe Biden. Biden. Next week. Well, don't because they're probably. We've got President Erdogan as a guest. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to send an email for that. I'm going to see if we can get him as a guest on our Formula One podcast. Well, if not, then we can tweet it and see what happens. We had John Pot DM us on the FIA thing. There we are. Probably not actually him, but hey. Oh, well. <laughs> on that note, I'm going to say bye. Let, let us um, know which dictators you want to, to, to join the podcast after that. <laughs> bye. <laughs>